And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to gather in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. I read this passage uh, to the deacons. I'd like to read it to us this morning. It's found, if you'd like to turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 131. What the psalmist writes, he says this, Behold how good and pleasant is it when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. How good it is for us to gather again in the house of the Lord. Amen. Uh, it's been a long year, uh, but I'm grateful that God, and through His kindness and goodness, allows us to continue to uh, join with one another and join Him here uh, together. Uh, again, if you're joining us online, um, we're grateful for that, but don't allow that to be an excuse not to come back in uh, the building. That is only if you... Uh, don't feel comfortable to come into the building or are sick uh, or are shut in. Th that's really who it's for. It's not for your convenience or comfort. Uh, it's, it's for, uh, that's the last um, resort, if you will. So please come and, and gather with us again here in the building. Um, one announcement, then I'll pray, and then we'll jump into God's holy word as we continue this series um, in Colossians that we've titled, the supremacy of Christ. We'll look at throughout the book uh, how Christ is supreme over all things and in all things. The, the one announcement I have is on May the 2nd at 9 a.m., we'll gather back here uh, for Sunday school. So please uh, mark your calendar for that. Begin to prepare for that. We will gather back together on uh, May the 2nd at 9 o'clock. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll jump into Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 14 this morning. God, I'm grateful for you to be able to gather in your house with your people, with the saints. You tell us in your word that we should never neglect the gathering of your saints together. And so I'm grateful that these believers have gathered in your place for fellowship, for worship, and to hear and to receive from you, from your holy word. We're grateful for that this morning. As we always pray here at Palace Chapel, we pray that your will would be done that we would know you and we would therefore make you known to a lost world, that you would send us out as uh, light and salt, as you tell us on the Sermon on the Mount, that we would proclaim this good news uh, to those who still need to hear it. I pray, God, for us this morning as we look at this uh, final part of Paul's prayer to these faithful Colossians, that it wouldn't just be for a group of people 2,000 years ago, but these words would be so true for us this morning as you were 
believers as your church that's, that's been called to gather. And what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us to walk worthy of the manner to which we've been called? I, I pray that would be so true for us this morning, that we'd see that, we'd hear that, we'd receive that, and then, God, we'd act in obedience and respond to your great word. So lead us and guide us this morning, I pray. Amen. Uh, just three things that we'll look at this morning. We'll look at the continuation of Paul's prayer. Remember, the Apostle Paul has never met these believers in person. The, um, uh, one of his saints, one of his followers, planted this church in Colossae. And in doing so, this gathering of believers began to, to grow in this city, this very important city. We said last week, though, at, at somewhere in 61, 62 AD, there was a massive earthquake and it busted the city up, the, the, the church up. That's all we know about it. But for whatever reason, God and his goodness, his kindness, uh, his wisdom gave us this letter. And, and so though that city is no more, though the church there is no more, these words have application for us this morning. And so Paul is writing this letter. And in writing this letter, he's reminding the believer, the, the church, that God is supreme, that Christ is supreme over all things. And we'll see that throughout the book. And so here, the Apostle Paul is in, in house arrest somewhere in Rome, is what many of the scholars believe, that he's in, um, in house arrest, under chains, can't get out, can't see people. And these people come to him, and they come to him uh, telling them about the church that is in Colossae. And so he's hearing about what God is doing. And we talked last week, though, that there's this teaching that had began to infiltrate the church. And it began to talk to them about, hey, Christ isn't supreme over all things. It's Christ plus something else. That you need Jesus, but you need these other things to make sure your salvation. And so the, the believers began to believe that. It's, it's God plus works. It's God plus this that orders me and or gives me security in my salvation. And Paul is going to come back and show us, no, it's Christ and Christ alone. And so he started, and we looked at last week, he started this letter off with a prayer. That's the first uh, verses, verses 3 all the way really to verse 20. That's the, one of the longest sentences in the New Testament. That's, we see it as many different sentences. But if you look at the original Greek, it's one continuous thought for the Apostle Paul. Uh, all the way from chapter 1, verse 3, all the way to verse 20. But I have broken it up into three sections. And so this morning, we're going to look at the middle section of his prayer. That what he prayed for, for these new believers, I believe, this has so much to do with who we are this morning. So we'll look at Paul's prayer, what he prayed for, and, and then what he praised in his prayer. So what he prayed for, and his prayer as a whole, what he prayed for, and then the praise in his prayer. So let's look at uh, Paul's prayer, verses, verse 9a. It says this in verse 9a. And so from that day we heard we did not cease to pray for you, what the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, since that first day I heard of all that God was doing in your midst, that, that, that God, how God had called you from darkness, we'll see that in the passage, called you from darkness into light. We, I'm constantly being reminded 
of God's goodness and favor to you. And every time I'm reminded that I can't stop praying for you. And then he's going to show us what he prays for. He's asking, he's pleading with God on their behalf. He says this. He says, and so from that day, we, we heard, myself and Timothy, remember Timothy was also writing this letter to them. We have not ceased to pray for you, circle the word, asking that God may be filled, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. I'll get to next what he prayed for. But there's this asking, there's this pleading on behalf of other believers. I wonder, church, for us in our prayer life, how often are we asking and pleading for God on the behalf of other people? Like when I, when I was reading and studying that one word, it, it was so convicting to get to that one word, asking that you. And I began to just look at my own prayer life and looked at how I often pray for me. And all the things that I need and all the things that I want and all the things that I desire and how selfish my prayer life really is, if I'm honest. What we see here, the Apostle Paul is not praying for himself. If there's anyone to pray for himself, it'd be the Apostle Paul. He's in prison. He's got chains on. He doesn't send a letter to them asking that they would pray for him. Now, if I'm writing a letter, the first thing I'm going to say to a fellow believer is, hey, pray that God releases me from prison. But what the Apostle Paul says, no, while I'm in prison with these chains on my ankles, I'm praying for you and for your spiritual growth. And as a way of the application for us this morning, are we praying spiritual things on behalf of other people? For your wife, for your children, for your co-workers, for your on and on we go. Are you pleading for God, asking for God more than you're asking for yourself? Are you pleading with other people? Now let's see what Paul prays for. He says, I haven't ceased, I haven't stopped praying for you. Meaning every time that you come to mind, I stop and I pause and I pray and I ask God these things. The first thing that he asks God for is this. I'm asking that you would be what? Filled with the knowledge of his will. If you want to know how to pray for people, this is a great place to learn how to pray for other people. Pray for the will of God in other people's lives. This word knowledge means this. It's not just a deep understanding. It's just not a head knowledge. What Paul is saying is, I don't want you to have more knowledge about God, but I want what you know to be put into application. That's what the word knowledge means here in the text. So that your knowledge would grow on him, but in your growth of the knowledge that you have about God, it would move you to do something with your knowledge. We have a lot of people that know a lot of things, but there's no conviction behind what they know. They sit with their brains being filled, but their hearts not being stirred or moved to do what God has called them to. And so what Paul is saying to these young believers in this city, in this church is, that the the will of God and their knowledge of God would grow. This is how one writer talks about knowledge. He says this, to be filled with this knowledge will mean being deeply affected 
by the reality of what you know. So that you would be affected by what you know. And if you're affected by something, you're going to do something about it. So what, that's what Paul is getting at. And so he, he says, I want you to have knowledge. But in your knowledge, what does he want with that knowledge? We see several things. The first one is this, that your knowledge of his will. So he's saying, I want you to know, to be moved with conviction, to know God's will. How many of us have ever wondered, hey, I want to know God's will for my life. I would like to know, is God's will for my life this job? Is God's will for my life this partner? Is God's will for my life this move? Is God's will for my life this or this or this, right? But that's nowhere found in Scripture. That is not the will of God. Now, God cares about all those things. But if you ever want to know what the will of God is, turn really quick to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. This is the will of God. And you see this throughout the New Testament. It's one small verse, but this is what it says. Paul is writing to other believers, and he says this in his letter. For this is the will of God. And it's not comma your spouse, not comma your job, not comma where you live, not comma. It says, this is the will of God. You want to know the will of God. Here is the will of God for your life. It is this, your sanctification. That is God's will for every believer throughout the world. Your sanctification. The word sanctification this means this. An ongoing being set apart to become more like Christ. So God's will for your life and for my life and Paul's prayer for these Colossians and the Colossians is this, for their sanctification. So that their knowledge of God would grow them into their sanctification to become more like Christ. That's the will of God for your life. So if you ever again begin to pray for God's will for your life, don't ask for a new job. Don't ask for a new spouse. Don't ask for new kids. No, 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 I go. Simply ask, God, may I become more like you because that is the will of God. And if God's will is for you to become more sanctified, then God's promise, you will become more sanctified because that's God's will for your life. He's not going to withhold sanctification for you because he wants to give it to you because that's God's will for your life. He may not give you that job. He may, may not give you a raise, the car, and on and on go. Because that, that has nothing to do with your sanctification. Unless he's going to use your job, a spouse, your children, for your sanctification. Then he'll allow those things to happen. But it's first for your sanctification. And so he says this. I'm going to pray for the knowledge of God's will for your life, for your sanctification, in this in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he's going to pray for God's will so that I have a deeper understanding and knowledge of who God is. If you want to be sanctified, you have to know the one who's going to sanctify you. And so he's praying that you will grow and I will grow in our knowledge of God. Because if we grow in our knowledge of God, our knowledge of God is going to be the thing that makes us more like him. He says in his word, be holy for I am holy. Well, how do we know what holiness looks like? We can't look to the world for holiness. That's not our model. 
That's wickedness. So there is a model for holiness. It's Him. So to become more holy, you must know the One who's calling you to be more holy. And then He says this. This is how I want you to live sanctified lives. This is what it's going to look like. He gives us three things. He says, in your spiritual wisdom and your understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's what sanctification is. It's our walking in a lifestyle that's worthy or honorable to God. When we become more sanctified and more holy, we become more worthy of what God has called us to. And we walk in that way. And now Paul's going to give us a test. Do you know if you're walking in a worthy manner in your sanctification? He gives us three things. Because our lives being sanctified brings transformation. So what are those three places? This is a test for all of us this morning. Verse 10, so that you are to work in a man, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Then he says this, so that you would do these three things, bearing fruit in good works, increasing in the knowledge of God, and being strengthened in all of his power. And then he's going to give us three things under that power. So the first one is this. You will know if you're living a sanctified, worthy life if you are bearing fruit. Now Paul tells us in Galatians what those fruits are. It's the fruit of the Spirit. That, that's not what Paul is talking about. When we think of the fruit, bearing fruit, it's not those things. What Paul is saying here is that what Jesus said, that I've set you apart for good works. And so when we begin to live sanctified lives, Paul is saying, when you, the church in Colossae, live sanctified lives, your life will bear fruit. You will see things different around you. What he's primarily talking about is converts. Because when we begin to live sanctified, transformed lives, we'll do what he called us to do in the Great Commission and go and proclaim his good news and in proclaiming his good news we will see the fruit not of our good news but his good news so paul is saying to us live sanctified lives work walk worthy in a manner to your calling and that will show that you are producing good fruit because when you're walking in steadfastness with the lord man converts come out of the woodwork i don't know how it works it just starts happening you start getting into conversations that you never got into before because there's something that's so different about you. You are what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. You have become the salt and light of the world. And when we become salt and light of the world, we come, become very attractive. And people are going to ask us questions about that. And then we get to begin to tell them about the good news of Jesus. Here's what's true. Yes, we live in a dark world, a fallen world. A wicked world. But there are still people, because God says to us in Luke chapter 2, we saw this Wednesday night, that there's a harvest waiting to be harvested. It's his harvest field. There are people out there that God is prepared to hear the good news, to respond to the good news. All we have to do is be obedient in our sanctification and the call that he's called us to go and preach and proclaim the good news to lost people. 
Because he says, hey, the, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are, fu- are few. So if we go take the gospel message, we will see the fruit of what God has already prepared us for. Right? That's what it means to have a harvest. At harvest time, it means all the things are ready to be picked. Right now, I, I am not a farmer at all. I'm like weak at best. But I, I just planted some tomato plants. I cannot wait to go harvest those tomatoes. All I had to do is put a little seed in the ground and put some water on top. God's going to do the rest. All I have to do is in a few months go pick some tomatoes and eat them. That's all I have to do. And that's what God is saying. The harvest is plentiful. The seeds are out there. I'm watering it. They're growing. All you have to do is go pick it. And we know in our sanctification, when we walk worthy of a manner to what God has called us to, then we will bear much fruit. So he's saying, you'll know that you're walking with the Lord and you're growing in your understanding of him if converts are, or you're at least getting into conversation with lost people. He says the next thing is this, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know you're walking in a manner worthy to what God's called you to when you're growing in your understanding of who God is. Well, how do you understand who God is? It's not through YouTube. It's not through a podcast. Though Those are great things. It's not to listen to every message under the sun. Those are those great things. How you know if you're growing in the knowledge of God is how much time you're spending in this. And so Paul is saying, are you spending time increasing your knowledge by spending time with God through his word? This is what gives us knowledge. Not this. So if all that I do is come to my iPad and watch sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon, listen to podcast after podcast, I promise I'll grow my knowledge, but I won't grow my knowledge. And what Paul is saying is invest your time into God's word that you may grow and understand him more and more and more and more into what he's called you to. So the first is, are you bearing fruit? Are you growing in your knowledge of God through his word? Not other books, not other preachers, but through his word. And then he says this. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So the next thing he says is this. In God's will, his purpose is this, that you'll have and bear fruit, that you'll grow in your understanding, and you'll be reminded of where both of those come from. It's his power. It will not be my power to grow in my understanding of God. I I could read this book all day, every day. I could memorize every word in the Bible. And it not grow me in power. We know that through the Pharisees. The Pharisees knew every word in the Torah. So much so it says that if you wrapped up a Torah and put it in its scroll and drove a nail through the, the scroll without even opening the scroll, a, a, 
good Pharisee could tell you every word that was penetrated by that nail that went through. They didn't even have to open the Torah up. Now, that's knowing the Bible. That's knowing the Bible. But their knowledge had no transformational power. And so what Paul is saying, hey, those first two, the bearing of fruit and the knowledge of God, come through you by the power of God. And here's the promise. It's already been given to you in your salvation. Paul says it this way in in another book, I believe. He says, all of life's godliness has already been given to you. That's my paraphrase. You have everything you need already to live a life of godliness. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's the promise that God gave to us through Christ Jesus when he ascended into heaven. He said, now I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that indwells in the believer that gives him the power to grow in his knowledge of God and to produce good fruit. It's not on our power. Your power and your power alone is not going to save people. It will be Christ through you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, using your words to bring conviction, to bring converts. And it will be God's power in you to open your mind and your heart to God's word. But here's the promise. It's already been given to you. And Paul is going to remind us, he's reminding these Colossians, hey, it's already been given to you. Everything that you need has already been accomplished for you. But are you dependent on him or are you dependent on your own power? I think our greatest discouragement comes because we are are not reminded it's the Holy Spirit, it's not us. And so our discouragement comes when we are trying to do all these things on our own power and we see no results. So we get self-dependent rather than God-dependent. And that's what Paul is reminding him. And then he says this. As a way of reminder, as you grow in your strength and in your power, you have this already. He says you have endurance and you have patience. You have power in your endurance and you have power in your patience. You may wonder, why would he use two words that seem so similar? In the Greek, There are different words that mean different things. The word endurance means this. It means our circumstances. So Paul is saying, hey, you have the power to endure your circumstances, all of your circumstances. Wherever you're at in life right now, whatever's going on in your life, because you have the Holy Spirit, you also have the endurance to make it through your circumstance. If you rely and trust on him, I promise the moment you rely and trust on yourself, you will become super discouraged and you'll have no endurance. You'll be exhausted. The next one is this, but you'll also have patience. So the first one has to do with circumstances. The next one, patience, has to do with people. How many of us in this room need patience through the power of the Holy Spirit with other people? Everyone's like, ah, kind of. Raise my hand like, up, not past my shoulder, but like it's true. All of us in this room, we need patience with people. And Paul is promising us, and he's promising this young church, you have the power of patience with people because of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, that you would do it with what? Joy. So he says, I'm praying for you that you will see God's will 
the purpose of a transformed life. You'll bear fruit. You'll grow in your knowledge of him. You'll remember the power you have with the endurance and the patience, but you'll do all this with joy. That we can, because of the Holy Spirit, being reminded that the Holy Spirit is with us, we can have joy in our circumstances and patience with people. It's what James says in James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face various trials. He goes on to say, because it's doing something in us. It's producing a steadfastness in us. So we are to have joy. And so the, the test for us, it's we're growing in God's will is this. Is there fruit being bared in your life? Are you seeing God's work around you? That can only be explained by him. Are you growing in your knowledge and your understanding of who he is? Are you spending time in his word? Is, t- is his time and his word bringing transformation? Do you delight, as the psalmist says, do you delight in the law of the Lord? Delight. Think about that word for a moment. When you delight in something, it's like you can't get enough of it. The psalmist says, I delight in your word day and night. Do we delight in God's word? Or do we delight in things that talk about God's word? Now, I love a good book. I, I love Charles Spurgeon. I love John Owens. I love John Calvin. I love R.C. Sproul. They've written some great books. And oftentimes I find myself delighting in what they've said about God's word more than I delight in God's word, what it says to me first and foremost. Do I delight in God's word? And the last one, am I being reminded of the power of God from my salvation through the Holy Spirit that gives me endurance and patience in all things And it's my life filled with joy in those moments. And then Paul says this. He's going to remind them of where all that comes from. It's Paul's praise in his prayer in verses 12 through 14. He says this. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transformed and <clears throat> transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Now Paul brings praise into his prayer. The first thing that he does is who does he praise? He says this, and I give Thanks to you? No. And I give thanks to me, the church planner? And I give thanks to the pastor? No. He says, my praise is first and foremost to God who has done all these things. And then he's going to list all the things that God has done for us and for that church, the believer. Look at the things that he has done, five things that Paul is thanking God for. The first one is this. He's thanking God for their inheritance. That word inheritance has to do with eternal life, and that's where the rest of these come out of. Paul is saying to God, thank 
God that you gave them eternal life. It is God's free gift to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And Paul is saying, I thank God for your inheritance. Now you thank God for your inheritance. When's the last time you thought God for your eternal security? You see, if you're a believer today, if you die when you leave this place, you have eternal security. That is your inheritance. But Jesus says this, our inheritance isn't just something that's waiting for us. He says this in the Beatitudes. He says you inherit what? The earth. As believers, our inheritance isn't just something that's waiting for us. We've been given to it through God. We have it sealed through the Holy Spirit. And now we can go and we have inheritance of the earth. Everything that God has given to us, it's ours. Because of our inheritance of who God's called us to and how he's called us. The second thing he says is this. You have the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the dark domain of darkness. So in our inheritance, in our salvation, he has delivered us from the, the domain of sin. Thank God for that. Again, when's the last time that you thought and thanked God for his deliverance from this dark, dark, and eternal darkness in your life. You see, every person on the planet is born into darkness. Every person on the planet, apart from Christ, will die and go to hell and spend eternity in darkness. I've said it before, I'll say it again. What makes hell so bad is not a little man with a pitchfork Twenty years and horns sticking out of his head and it's hot. That is not what makes hell so bad. What makes hell so bad is the lack of presence of God himself. It's a torment of isolation with nobody and no thing around you for the rest of eternity. And God is saying through the Apostle Paul, let me remind you that God and your salvation has delivered you from that place of isolation. But he doesn't stop there. He says, so I'm going to thank God for your inheritance. I'm going to thank God for your deliverance. But thank God he didn't just deliver us from something. He then transformed us to something and transferred us to something. So not only did he take us out of this place, but in taking out of us this place, put us somewhere else. Where'd he put us? He says, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Thank God that he rescued us from hell, but more so thank God he didn't just rescue us from somewhere. He put us somewhere else. And where did he put us? He put us in the kingdom with his son, Jesus the king. Thank God for that. And then he says, this is how those two things happen. He says he's delivered us. He, trans, um, he transferred us in whom we have what? Two things. Redemption 
and forgiveness. So Paul says, hey, because you've been taken from the dominion of darkness, placed into the kingdom of light, this is how it's happened. It happened through his blood. It's called redemption, that you were bought with a price. There was a price on your head. You were a slave to sin. And Christ Jesus paid the price to rescue you as a slave to sin, bought you to be his own, to bring you into his kingdom, not to, to be a slave, but to be a slave to righteousness, not a slave to sin. So you've been bought, placed into a kingdom with Christ Jesus. And not only that, have you been bought with a price, everything you've ever done in your life has been forgiven. You have forgiveness of sin. That's what happens when you and I are in the d- domain of darkness, we come to salvation, God in his sovereignty, his goodness, his power takes you in his own hands, takes you out of that place and places you into the kingdom of God through redemption and to, for the forgiveness of your sin. And my question to myself, my question to us, the church, is this. When is the last time we brought praise to God for our inheritance, our deliverance, being transferred, being redeemed, and being forgiven? And then the circle back around to the first place. When's the last time we as a church have sought God that he would do for others what he did for us? My hope and my prayer is this. I say this with fear and trepidation, but I I have to say it. I would hope that our Wednesday evening services of prayer would be more about these five things than anything else that we would pray for. Yes, I care about people with cancer. But what I don't care about is people with cancer dying and not having salvation. Like if I'm just praying for cancer and not for their salvation, I'd much rather pray that they get saved than they get healed of cancer. Like if you're a drug addict, I, I, I quit my job because I was spending all this time working with drug addicts, telling them how to get sober, but did not share the gospel message to get them out of darkness into light. And I thought to myself, there's going to be a day I'm going to stand before Jesus and give an account for all those men that I was sharing how to get sober but did not share the gospel message with them. And it terrified me. Because I don't care about your sobriety. I care about your eternal security with Christ Jesus. That's what I really care about. That's what drives me to this pulpit. Not about sickness, about eternal security. And so I want us as a church, like Paul, to begin to pray on behalf of other people for their inheritance, for their deliverance, for their transformation, for their redemption, and for their forgiveness of sin, more than anything else we pray about. So that we could go back and we would begin to see God is bearing fruit among us here at Palace Chapel. And we're growing in our knowledge. And people are coming to the church and they're growing in their knowledge of God. And that God would use this church to make an impact in his kingdom for eternity. And so are we, Pals Chapel, praying on behalf of other people the way 
Paul did. Are we, what are we asking for is my question. Are we asking for what Paul asked for for these young believers? Are we asking for what Paul asked for with lost people? May we walk worthy of a manner to which God had called us, Palace Chapel. Let us pray. As a way of application this morning, I want us to do that for a moment. I'll pause and we will pray to ourselves. First, we will praise God for our inheritance. We'll praise God for our deliverance. We'll praise God that he transferred us from darkness to light. We will praise God for the redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. Now, will we pray for those children just a few hundred feet from this room that God would do that in the lives of those children that are meeting at this moment? Now we pray that for our community. God, I'm grateful for the Apostle Paul. What a witness and a testimony to us. I pray that we would take his words here in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, and that through the Holy Spirit, 
it would sear conviction on our hearts. If we take this model of a prayer and we begin to pray that in our lives and for our lives and for the lives of those that you've placed around us, So God, I do pray for us as a church. I pray that we would know your will, which is our sanctification. That we would live transformed lives, and in living transformed lives, we would bear fruit. And we pray now, God, for the salvation of people in our community. That those who are still in the dominion of darkness, that you would bring them into the light. That you would transform. them from that dominion to your son's kingdom and in doing so God that they would receive their eternal security their inheritance that can only come from you that you would redeem them and you'd forgive them and you'd set them free to live lives that are holy and acceptable to you and God I pray that you would in your kindness and your graciousness and your generosity to us you would grow our understanding of who you are through your word and god i pray that we be obedient obedient children that would spend time with you in your word you would be constantly reminding us that we have all we need for a life of godliness through the holy spirit who empowers us I'm grateful for that, Holy Spirit, that you will grow my knowledge, you'll grow this church's knowledge, and the knowledge of who God is. So continue to lead us, continue to shape us, continue to sanctify us, set us apart. I'm grateful for all that you do for us. I pray this the name of Jesus, our risen Savior. Amen. You please rise for the benediction this morning. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go for, therefore, and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you always. Grace and peace be with you this morning. Amen.